This is Temple in Heilprin on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome into Temple in Heilprin. We are live from Monk's Barn Grill in Sun Prairie. We are here every Thursday from 6 to 7. Uh, we're doing this after we already did the show because uh, someone hit, uh, forgot to hit record. I don't want to blame any names, but it's this guy. I forgot to hit record on it. So we missed about five minutes, about five minutes of the show. That's okay, Jesse. We'll, there was enough good stuff in there after, after I hit record that... It'll be all right. I was just going to pretend that never happened. <laughs> that, I, that, I, that everything else didn't happen or that I didn't hit record? That the first five minutes, I was just going to act like this was part of the real intro to the show. <laughs> well, we are, again, we are at Monk's in Sun Prairie every Thursday. We love being here. Some great specials, drink specials on Thursday nights, $5 Long Islands, $4 Spotted Cows. But uh, we are getting ready to go to Washington State. We talked all about it. We previewed Washington State. talked a little bit about week one and some overreaction or no. And I think we'll get to that right now and where people are coming from after week one given what Chez did but there's a reason why Braylon is a preseason second team all-american and why he put up the numbers that he did last year it's interesting when you look at the way the coaches use those guys because Chez was in the game for 13 rushing plays and they ran the ball all 13 times that he was in the game gave it to him so the disparity though was he only got 20 offensive snaps and Braylon got 46 offensive snaps I found that to be very interesting but right now I think Braylon has earned that right but I would also say it might wind up being pretty close in the end because they're going to need both as Luke Fickle has said on multiple times do you think Braylon Allen's going to get seven catches every single time that goes out and plays? I do not, even though you astutely pointed out to him that he was on pace <laughs> for 91 catches, which he was pretty fired up about. That would shatter the record by Brian Calhoun of 53. Yes. I, I don't think he's going to get 91, but I do think that what we saw from Chez last week certainly leads me to believe that he's going to be a great fit for this offense. Yeah. And a guy that they can certainly use maybe even more so than they have in the past Assuming he stays healthy. Both of them have had uh, some issues staying healthy. I feel good about Chez just putting his foot in the ground and going. And we kind of saw when Braylon did that, he had some success as well. This offense is great for Chez, and I think it's kind of like more close to what he had been used to maybe earlier in his in his career. But whether that's going to actually play out to the point where uh, Chez is getting the same amount of touches as Braylon, probably not. Braylon's an NFL back. Yes. Chez, Chez is probably a fringe NFL back, or what would you say? I mean, I, I almost think it's we'll, we'll see what happens this season because you could do a little bit of everything. I, I don't know if people would have thought of, well, maybe this isn't exactly the same, but James White, because he was a Big Ten freshman of the year, he burst on right away, um, was kind of overshadowed by the number one guy, whoever it was, whether it was Melvin or Monte Ball, and obviously carved out a great career. Now they're, they're different players. I, I don't know. Um, it's kind of hard because if Chez, well, what if he has – 1,300 yards rushing and 500 receiving yards in an offense like this and shows how dynamic he is, maybe. Um, what's interesting to me, though, is some, someone asked me a mailbag question about this topic with Braylon and Chez, and they said, is Chez a better fit for the offense than Braylon? And my answer to that was, first of all, I'm not willing to go that far because it sells Braylon short, and to me it's less about Malusi being a better fit than how Allen and, and Chez complement each other because – I still think this is a very good fit for Braylon. Look at the 37-yard run that he had right before that six-yard touchdown. To me, that said everything. Yeah, there was a big hole, but he had some burst. He was dragging dudes. He evaded a would-be tackler. So we're going to see a lot of both those guys. I thought it was interesting. Yeah, talking to, to Chez afterwards, he felt as good as he ever has. 
and he shouted out Brady Collins and something that we did not mention uh, when we talked about it on, on Monday, which I or on Sunday, which I wish we would have, is how good he's feeling physically, and he, he obviously credited what they were able to do in the offseason, and I kind of agree with it. I kind of agree with it. He looked as quick and as fast and as agile as I think he has, and again, a lot of that is health, right? Yeah, absolutely. He hasn't been able to stay healthy the last two seasons. He missed four games in each season with the ACL injury and the broken wrist. Right, Like, but he, just going into a season yeah. as healthy as he's ever been, and I know Braylon uh, mentioned that after the game as well. All right. The passing game will be no better this year than it has for the last three. Is that an overreaction or no? Massive overreaction. I've been a little surprised at the response that people have had uh, to Tanner Mac. Uh, Tanner Mac. <laughs> Tanner Mordecai. <laughs> yeah, it's going to get me. Uh, this is how you know you've been here too long is when you start naming off dudes who were here a decade ago. And, but, uh, <laughs> and guys that did not have necessarily the biggest impact ever at quarterback. Yes, if it was about the passing game then, I would have some bigger concerns. Um no, I think they're going to be much better than the last three years. They've, they've been subpar, which is putting it nicely, the last three years, passing-wise. And uh, we know what they can do. And I, I mentioned this. We talked about this before. All you have to do is add that 60-yard reception that should have been a touchdown to Skylar Bell, put it right in the bread basket, the, probably the best pass that Mordecai had that entire day. Couldn't have put it anywhere else any better, and, and, he, and Bell dropped it. And you do that, and all of a sudden he's got 249 yards passing, couple of touchdowns and, and people are having a very different conversation this week but it didn't happen you're right and so now we're forced to have this conversation which right is, which again is unfortunate because i it's again you are who you are when you step on the field that's yeah. that's who you have to be and that's who people believe you are we can't keep on saying well this isn't this this isn't what we saw in practice because the only two times people have seen him publicly it the passing game hasn't been good but i would be shocked if it is not better than what it has been the last three years. Oh yeah, and he still completed. Yeah, I know seventy percent of his passes. Seventy-seven percent of his passes. So, but but yes, it's the two picks, and and understandably so, why they stand out. You can't keep doing that. I don't think that he will. I think his demeanor shows you that he he's furious with himself. Like he knows he should do better and can do better, and I believe he will. All right, another one here. Tucker Ashcraft, the freshman tight end is the next star at tight end for Wisconsin. Is that an overreaction or no? No. No. I'm on board the Tucker Ashcraft train. I think you can see pretty early on sometimes with a guy. Now, yes, it takes opportunity, but he started getting the first team reps at the the end of the first week in Platteville, and that was when Riley Nowakowski and Jack Pugh were still available. So they obviously saw something then. Yeah, he only got two two receptions, but you saw what he did on him. The first one, he caught the ball and dragged people with him, got an extra six yards by lowering his shoulder after he got the first down marker. And then the next one was a 24-yard reception. So I, I think, yes, to me, he is the next star because he's got all the versatility that they're looking for. He can block, but he's got pass-catching ability, and he can get yak, which is a big deal. I think the biggest problem with not saying it's uh, an overreaction here or saying it is an overreaction would be to say that, Grant Steck is going to come oh, in, right? Oh, 100 percent. So, like, they excellent have, point, but yeah, so uh, my a, mind they, is not on 2024. I know, I know, but like your next star, I don't know if he's going to be a star this year. I think he's going to be an important part of the offense, but a star is a guy that's going to be here for the next three or four years. And Grant Steck's coming in, and there's a reason, uh, probably a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. that Rob Booker is not going to be at Wisconsin. Grant Steck is a big part of it. That is a reason. Yes, okay. that is fact. Okay. Um, now. Yes, Booker did commit at a time when Steck had already committed. I think they committed pretty close to each other, but it became very clear 
how talented Steck was. Um, but even when Steck gets here, it's not an automatic, no matter how talented you are, that you're going to contribute right away. And if Ashcraft has a really good year, then he would have a leg up. I, I'm on I'm on board the Ashcraft train, and hey, given how Longo likes to use tight ends, why can't you have two stars? Well, I, th- I think it's also what you talk about there, just because you recruited so highly doesn't mean you're just going to come in and, and play right away. Also goes the other way around with with Tucker, right? Just because you were a three-star recruit, just because you didn't have all the biggest offers doesn't mean you come in and make an impact right away, and that's exactly what he's done. He did not have huge, huge offers from a ton of different schools. I know you wrote about that this week, but you go back and look at some of the schools that were after him. There there were not a ton, right? Like it was, was Idaho State, Northern Arizona, Colorado, who he committed to, Eastern Washington, and Air Force. Yeah, and Idaho was his first offer, which is an FCS school. It all came together really quickly. Um, you just never know how this is going to happen. Sometimes guys are five-star players and end up getting booted from the program in the middle of a season. And sometimes guys come out of nowhere. And, and Ashcraft absolutely has come out of nowhere because if you look at the 2023 high school recruiting class Wisconsin brought in, who played from that group on offense or defense? Last year's group? This, this, the, oh, this, this year's class. Group. Tucker uh, Ashcraft. Tucker Ashcraft has, and we're going to see Jonas DeClone. Yeah, we, pr- we will see you, Jonas DeClone. I know you're not a big fan of including Atticus, Atticus Bertrams either in the transfer category or the true freshman category. Well, he's neither. Oh, he is a true freshman, but he's, not a, he's not a member of the high school 2023 recruiting class. But he's, a true, he was, fr- he, yes. he's a true freshman. Yes. Uh, and other than that, we saw Christian Allegro for three snaps on special teams. So... This happens every year. You never know where one of those true freshmen is going to come from, but Ashcraft has made the most of it, and I have no reason to believe that he's going to fall out of this rotation. Even when Riley Nowakowski comes back, they like Riley, but they've seen what Ashcraft can do, so he's going to continue to get snaps. How tall is Ashcraft? 6'5". How tall is Riley? Not 6'5". Not (laughs) 6'5". So I think that certainly also plays a role. Riley Nowakowski was the greatest body for a fullback. Mm Mm-hmm. But he, he showed as a tight end that he can do a lot of different things for them, but... Having that big body, you can throw the ball down the field. How many people are catching that ball from Tanner Mordecai? The second one, the, se- the yeah. sec- Ashcraft's second catch. How many are making that catch? I mean, got to be pretty tall to make that catch. Yeah, he he's very like. It's shocking to me that more schools didn't go after him. When you and I know when you watch highlights, it's the best of what they do. And I, I mentioned this on the camp, but if you watch his huddle season, his junior highlights on huddle. He has this catch. He caught a 42-yard touchdown pass, and the, the guy who was defending him was a cornerback who's now a wide receiver, but he was a four-star prospect who committed to Notre Dame named Tobias Merriweather. And Ashcraft went up, took the ball away, and got a touchdown, and you're just like, oh, my God. So it's all there for him. So before we move on, I want to talk about your article on The Athletic about Tucker Ashcraft. It turned into a little bit of a fight in the comments. Yeah, you know why? Uh, For some inside baseball? I I assume they put a title on it that was not appropriate? No, they tagged it. Usually my stories are tagged to Wisconsin Badgers, so Badgers fans automatically get it. They also decided to tag it to Colorado football. (laughs) So all the Colorado fans got in there and started making a bunch of noise about how it was a story about something that it wasn't about. It was... About what happened to Tucker Ashcraft and not an indictment on anything about Colorado other than they didn't communicate with him when they got rid of him. It got into, like, like people call, being called racists and, like, it was just, it, it was an ugly scene in your, in your mentions there. Yeah. Or not in the mentions, in the, in the comments. It, what's the rule? Never read the comments, but the athletic is usually a little bit different because people are paying for this content and usually you don't get into big fights like that. But last time I looked, there was, like, over 100 comments out of it. I assume there's more... There's more now. Yeah, it, it got a little out of hand. Uh, they, right now, uh, 99, because okay. right. so a, a few of them get marked as uh, 
abusive. Yeah. Uh, These things happen over uh, discourse, yeah, apparently. Sure. All right. Final one here of overreaction or no. Ricardo Hallman and not Alex Smith is Wisconsin's true lockdown cornerback. Is that an overreaction or no? I feel like I don't want to diss Alexander Smith, but I'm inclined to go with no, not an overreaction. Excuse me? <laughs> what did you say? No. No? That's that because I'm not originally from Wisconsin. Yeah, but, you, but you've been here for a, a I was born a in decade. Minnesota, though, so I should. No. <laughs> no? Overreaction um, or no? No. Uh, I mean, there's a reason why Ricardo Hallman played all the snaps out there and, and Nizer Forkerine and Alex Smith basically split. I... No knock against Smith. It shows the talent they have in Forkering. But I, you name me a player that's come as far as Ricardo Holman has in one year. Because, yeah, he started out very well last year in terms of being a guy who was out there a lot. But we know the struggles he had against Michigan State. We know he essentially disappeared the rest of the season until he got the start in the bowl game. And for him not to hang his head, and for and maybe he did so privately, I probably would have too. But for him to attack the offseason the way he did, he dominated in spring practice. And to continue that all the way through and never give up his spot, it says a lot. Um, maybe we need a little more games to make a determination, but they didn't bother to throw to him. They didn't. I think this week is going to be a huge, huge test. Oh, because yeah. Michigan State threw the ball down the field quite a bit, and we know what happened. And, the, and I will always say that Al, uh, Ricardo Holman was exactly in position for two of the three passes that he ended up giving up. The, the one that he wasn't in position for was the, the wide receiver pass that he came up and the guy went right by him, and that was obviously his guy. But the other two, he was right there including right on Jaden Reed, who's going to be making his debut for the Packers coming up on Sunday, was right there, and the guy just made a ridiculous play. But he was in position to make the play. Now it's going ahead and making the play, and I felt like throughout spring and for what we got to see out of fall camp, he did. He did. And so it's – I want to say that it means something that the other two split time, but then Luke Fickle kind of threw a little bit of water on that in talking about we need to get, you know, we need to get Rico some, some time. He doesn't need to play all those plays either. But, but he did. But he did. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and that says something. And the same thing with Jason Matry. Played all the snaps. And we know that the backup at the nickel spot is Owen Arnett, who doesn't have a ton of experience there. And so they wanted to throw him. They wanted to give Jason Matry as much as possible and one that they trusted to play all those snaps, right? Like how many snaps did Owen Arnett play on defense? I don't well, think he played any. He, he didn't. What, what's interesting is the guys who played the most snaps, Hunter Waller and Ricardo Holman, both played 71 defensive snaps, according to Pro Football Focus. And, which is all and, of them, right? And Matry, I believe so. And Matry was next at 65, which obviously there are going to be some situations where they Short yardage. they change it around. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's, it says how much they value Ricardo Holman. We knew Hunter Waller was going to be a stud. But Holman has really emerged in a way that, uh, I, I honestly, I didn't see it coming based on where we were at midseason last year it's impressive it's impressive so yeah ricardo hallman gonna play a big role on saturday as they take on cam ward in that downfield passing game that they're gonna see a lot more shots downfield than what uh, buffalo sent their way all right coming back on the other side we're gonna get into a little bit more of uh, reacting to week one and whether anything has changed in our mind in terms of what wisconsin can do this year we are live at monk's barn grill for heilprin and temple and heilprin this is Temple in Heilprin, live from Mox Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network.
Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heilprin. We are live at Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. We're here every Thursday. We'll be back next Thursday, 6 to 7. They have uh, a great happy hour every day, Monday through Friday, from 3 to 7. Free upgrades on 22-ounce mugs, $2 off of appetizers. I uh, took advantage of that last week, Jesse. Uh, quite a few, quite a few of them as we held our fantasy draft afterwards. I know you didn't, but that's okay. On air, however, I wanted to say happy birthday. Thank you. Are you going to have a beer in celebration of your birthday? Going out to dinner after this, so okay, might, might save it for that. So is you, you and your wife are going out to dinner? That's right. Got somebody taking care of the, the kid? We do. Woo! Big night. That's a big night off. That's a big night off. Big night. Is this, are you, is this kind of like a birthday and also... You know, giving her a little time away because you're going to be gone <laughs> for the next three days? Yeah, we can look at it like that. Okay, all right. All right, let's do that. Uh, again, Wisconsin will take on Washington State on 6.30, on 6.30, at 6.30, out in Pullman uh, on Saturday nights. We will be out there. So it's going to be a little bit of a trip tomorrow there for Jesse. You ever been out, out west that in that area? Uh Seattle on a West Coast trip once, but never been to... Oh, that's right. You, you cover baseball. Oh, no, not for that. Okay, for something else? Related to that. I covered the, the Chicago White Sox. That's what uh, I said, baseball. Yeah, but only the home games for the oh, White Sox. Oh, okay. Yeah, they didn't pay that year to the interns. <laughs> it, was, it was a rough year. I slept on a pullout bed, my college roommate, but that's a different story. No, I've never been to Washington State and never been to Spokane, which is 75 miles from Pullman, which is where <laughs> everyone's going to be staying except the team, which is going to be in Idaho, so... Tough to get out there. It is. It's, it it kind of re- it's reminiscent of Penn State a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. But uh, you were actually able to fly into Happy Valley, weren't you, or College Park or whatever it's college, called? Uh, yeah, um, I did. And what, then what drove the- 45 miles away because you <laughs> – State College, I think is what you're trying – What did I say, College Station? Yeah, State College. Oof, uh, somehow got a flight in there. I have no idea how and ended up like an hour away and got stuck on the highway and was driving on the median backwards. It was it was a wild ride to try and get to the game. What's the hardest place to get to in the Big Ten? Is that it? That's it. I'm, that's is that your least it. favorite? In terms of just travel? Going. Yeah, just going. Rutgers is up there. Rutgers is definitely <laughs> up there. Rutgers yeah. is up there. Because that's yeah. another place you can't, you're not flying into Piscataway. You're flying into yeah. uh, Newark and then driving out there. And, and then getting back to the airport from Piscataway is... is uh, is a challenge as well. Yes, going to Rutgers kind of sucks, but looking forward to adding some Los Angeles trips to this one. No, and yeah. to, and to Washington State again. Not this Seattle, year. a little bit easier. I don't know. I, I'm guessing Eugene's probably not horrible to get to. I, I don't know. Been we'll, there, but don't remember. Worry no about one cares. It. Worry about it. No, people people care about these types of things. <laughs> um, all right, let's get into a little bit of uh, more confident, less confident, same confidence, because we made our season predictions going into. Week one, we saw what happened, 38-17, Buffalo over, uh, Wisconsin over Buffalo. Going into the season, you had Wisconsin winning 10 games. Are you more confident, less confident, same confidence in that prediction? Same confidence. People can complain about Wisconsin winning by three touchdowns. Did you watch the rest of the Big Ten West? Illinois beat Toledo 30-28, to miraculously. Minnesota somehow... What do they? What do they call it? Snatching victory from the jaws of defeat. I think. I, I, I think know it's snatch, the other way around, okay. but you know, people do say that too. That's essentially. Yeah, that's essentially what Minnesota did against Nebraska and Iowa, okay. which looked like it might actually score more than twenty-five points by coming out of the gates hot. Scored twenty-four points and beat Utah State twenty-four fourteen. So I feel 
just as good about my pick as I did a week ago. All right, well, then I guess asking the next question is Wisconsin winning the West. More confident, less confident, same confidence. In terms of winning 10 games? No, no. Winning the West. Oh. Or, or that was winning the West. I think that, that I, was winning I the went West. Ten, I went 10 games. That was, that was the one I asked. Oh. So confident they're going to win 10 games? I'm, I'm same confidence on both. Okay. So you, in, and it's because the West looks exactly the same? West stinks. Okay. <laughs> Do you, what about the Ohio State game? Because, yeah. I mean, they, There's that. they didn't, didn't necessarily play great against Indiana. Indiana's defense gave up a much tougher uh, effort than I think a lot of people were expecting from them. You know, you you got Kyle McCord game one. It sounds like Devin Brown's going to play a little bit more in game two. Is that game looking? I know we both made the prediction that they're going to beat Ohio State. That was kind of our bold predictions. But I feel okay about that a little bit better. I feel the same as I did before. I think Ohio State's going to have the best athletes. You know, yeah. You don't seem too thrilled about that response. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm I'm good. I'm good. All right. You want me to have a hot take? I mean, I, I don't care. N- I don't care. Teams just no one blew me away in week one. I mean, from the Big Ten at least. Yeah, I mean, who was the most impressive team in the Big Ten? You could say Michigan, Michigan maybe. Beat East, East Carolina. Carolina, probably Penn State. Penn State beat West Virginia 38-15. And Drew Alar, or Alar, however you want to pronounce it, yeah. he looked really good. He looked really, really good. He he may be the best quarterback in the Big Ten. It is a possibility. Are you saying you're getting off the Tanner Mordecai bandwagon? I mean, I never was on the – he's the best quarterback. That that was the Jim Polzine bandwagon of him being the, the first-team All-Big Ten quarterback. Uh, no, I'm thinking – there's a lot of guys that are probably not a lot of guys. There are several guys that I would probably take over Tanner Mordecai, and Drew Lars, one of them. Um, speaking of Tanner Mordecai, mm-hmm. we had him breaking. Some of us had him breaking <laughs> Russell Wilson's yardage record, which is 3175. He throws for 189 in Week One. Kind of got to pile it up sometimes against some of the lesser opponents. He did not do that. Where's your confidence level in him breaking that record now? More confident? Less confident? Same confidence? Well, I'm going to go a little less confident after that week one game. Might feel better if they'd caught a 60-yard touchdown pass and he had 249. Because what was he? He would have had to average what? Like 230 or something? My math. I'm not a math major, but uh, the average goes up when you're under 200 in week one. And, I mean, look, that three-game stretch with Iowa... Illinois and Ohio State, or I mean, you know, if he starts dropping 250 and a couple touchdowns, he's going to have a shot at it. Speaking of fantastic Big Ten quarterbacks, mm-hmm. Deacon Hill as a Big Ten starting quarterback, more confident, less confident, same confidence after what you got to see from him on Saturday against Utah State. <laughs> I don't understand why you're asking this question, Zach. I don't even know where this is coming from. I'd say I'm slightly less confident after watching whatever happened out there. What? Late in the game. Did you see the Did ball that he threw? It was only a few yards in front of the receiver, <laughs> but it got there quick. Yeah, and he, was, and and he handed it off. I, I personally would take him over Cade McNamara in terms of handing hand him. Why, hand why did they take off. Cade McNamara out of the game? Honestly. Well, I mean, he's dinged up. Just obviously. trying to get him some reps. Just yeah, got to get Deacon Hill ready. Got to get Deacon Hill ready. And Cade, Mac, Cade McNamara after those first two drives, their offense did nothing. Yeah, but did nothing. you see those first two drives? Yeah, the the corner fell down, and Eric All was wide open. Were they looking for a jump start from their backup quarterback late in the game? And That's then Utah a possibility. State, and Utah State scores and makes it close. By the way, uh... I feel that's my favorite pick of last week because we'll get to that. The, the joke was that it was a twenty-three and a half point spread. Would they even get that many? And they did. They got twenty-four. So we'll get we'll get to picks a little <laughs> bit later on because Jesse had a good week and Zach did not. But Deacon Hill, as a Big Ten starting quarterback, even more confident after what oh, I saw. Are you? After even after what I saw, I mean, if he was at Wisconsin right now, I'd probably say 
I, like, I'm going to go back on that one. If he was here, I think he'd be the starting quarterback eventually. <laughs> no? I I suppose I admire your optimism <laughs> or your uh, stubbornness. Okay. All right. Well, I got, stubbornness I got for sure. Yeah. For sure. All right. Coming back to the other side, we're going to get into Washington State. We're going to get into Cam Ward. Going to get into what Wisconsin needs to do to get to 2-0 and and get some revenge off of last year's 17-14 loss at Camp Randall Stadium. You're listening to Temple and Heilprin live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. This is Temple in Heilprin, live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome back into Temple and Heilprin. We are at Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie. We are here every Thursday from 6 to 7. Jesse Temple, Zach Heilprin with you. Badgers going out to Washington State to take on the Cougars on Saturday night. We will be there. Um, wanted to get into a little preview of Washington State. It's the second time Wisconsin is going to face them in this, you know, back-to-back years. They obviously played them last year. Washington State came in, got a couple touchdowns from Nakia Watson, beat them 17-14. to Wisconsin had a bunch of turnovers, had a bunch of penalties. It was a disastrous performance, and what you kind of said on the camp earlier this week was it kind of was a starting point of what was the end of the Paul Christ era at Wisconsin. So uh, let's get into this. How much emphasis should be placed on the revenge factor for Wisconsin going out there? We heard from Uma Jong Meta this week. I know there's some other guys that have, have talked about it as well, but how much emphasis do you think is being placed on that? Well, one thing that I thought was interesting was there was a social media video put out, which they do frequently, of Luke Fickle talking to the team this week, and he mentioned not wanting to put an emphasis on that. Uh, but now, he wasn't here last year, and I imagine if he was, he maybe would feel a little differently. But for the guys who were here last year, that is certainly paramount. And Muma is one of those people, and he talked about how he remembered the narrative last year about Nakia Watson came back and scored two touchdowns against his former team, and then players were jumping on the W. But I had a chance to talk to Braylon Allen, and I thought this was kind of interesting. He told me that the Washington State loss last season was the game. He said it was, quote, the game that stings the most for me from last year. Um, That's surprising. It was. And the reason that he said it was, and I think this also speaks to kind of where the team was at last year, they just sort of assumed they were going to go out there and beat Washington State. Like, they were looking ahead to week four against Ohio State, thought it would be, a you know, one of those undefeated premier matchups, and then they lost to Washington State. So I think that clearly the guys who are part of it want to get them back, but there are bigger storylines at play, at least in my opinion, and, and what I wrote about this week, it's about, to me, it's how far has this program really come in a year. Right, because it's about finishing. Before exactly. we before we get to that, I, I do want to mention this because I had no idea what <laughs> what Muma was talking about social media wise after the game. Okay, and they played up the narrative of Nikia Watson coming back in and winning and beating his former team. Right, ah. and and uh, so the tweet started coming around places this week, and it was Washington State tweeting with the big picture Nikia Watson essentially stepping on the field, and it was the the comment was jump up, jump up, and sit down. I never saw that until just now. Actually. I did not see it either. However, it is bookmarked just in case mm-hmm. uh, that, that it could be used for content on uh, Saturday night because uh, Muma said they're going there to make things right. Yeah. Whatever that means, it is what it is. They're, they're going there to, to win. They're going win to, to get some revenge for it. 
That said, Luke Fickle's message is on something else. It is on finishing. Because how many games last year were they unable to finish in the fourth quarter? And it started with this one. As he has said on multiple occasions since he got here, and he reminded him another social media post when he was talking to the team after a late February workout, he said we were 1-4 last year in games decided in the fourth quarter. And he was talking about how that's the difference in his season. And he was saying how... We've got a hell of a lot of work to do to learn how to finish when you get punched in the face, when you get down 10, when you get down 14 points. We want to see who the dogs are when it really gets tough. And that was hammered home at every stage of the offseason. It wasn't just the, the preseason, the pre-spring practice workouts. It was in the spring. It was during the squat fest with Brady Collins. It was when they were running the stadium steps in July, and it's hotter than 80s. And Ricardo Holman said that was what got me through those workouts is that constant reminder because they know they fell short last year. So that's why, to me, this this game is so important because it's a, a marker. And one thing I heard people say, at least in the comment section, was, oh, what does it say about where Wisconsin's football program is that this is the game that you're using as the measuring stick? And it's like, I got news for you, people. They lost six regular season games last season. The only reason they got to a bowl is because they beat a Nebraska team by one point on the road. That was 2-1,000 in, in games decided by one possession. So They finished that one. This is They did. That's how they got bowl eligible. So this is a marker of where they are it's just not the only marker there are going to be other ones it's the op- it's the first it's the first opportunity to show you are a different team yes. it's the first opportunity to show you're a different program and this is because of what happened last year because of this is a team that you did not beat last year it's one of what five of six the uh, their losses that they're actually going to see again this year or have an opportunity to get back at and that's huge. That's huge for a program that overhauled its staff, overhauled its philosophy. You can you can talk about what you want about in terms of its mindset, and that hasn't changed. We're going to be tough. We're going to be dependable. All the all the cliche words you yeah. want to use, but you overdid. You overhauled everything, and this is the game, the first opportunity you have to go and show that it, it changed something. You know what's really interesting to me is on that topic of mindset. I honestly, this was the most interesting quote to me in the story that I ran about this. When I was talking to Hayden Rucci, he was saying that it felt to him, and he's a guy who's fifth-year senior, so he's been around the block. To him and other guys who were on the team last year, that he said we would get into tough moments in games and it was hard to escape that. Like, you get this feeling of, oh, crap, we're, we're losing. We made a mistake. And he said it almost seemed unovercomable. Uh, maybe that's not a word, but you know what he means. Uh, and he said whether it was from the coaching staff down or whether it was just on the players, I thought that was a really interesting comment from a guy who's been around here for a long time. They feel differently coming into this season, but how you feel, I mean, it doesn't matter until you get on the field. We saw with the football team, we saw with the basketball team. How, how many close games did that basketball team get into last year and mm-hmm. they could not finish? And it felt like as soon as you got tight, they got tight, right. and it was done, and it wasn't going to happen. The same thing felt that way in football as well. You know, the previous year for basketball, you go 18 and something in games decided by single digits. You felt like every time you got in a single-digit game, you're going to win it. It is a, it is a mindset. It, it can become something that it gets into the back of your mind, and you can't lose it. And maybe the football team had that last year, and, again, maybe it started with Washington State. Yeah, multiple guys talked about they agreed with that comment, and it was – not something I really considered before because there was so much else going on last year. But when you really think about it, it, it makes some sense. They just weren't able to win a lot of those close games. Yeah, for sure. All right, so moving on here. Which defensive player has the most pressure on his shoulders in dealing with Cam Ward in an offense that put up a bunch of points and a bunch of yards last year or last week? Cam Ward had, 
you know, three touchdowns and, and threw for a, a million yards, and, and they had one receiver that was over 100 yards. Another guy was close to 90. So they have a, a really dangerous passing attack. I'm not overly – I don't know how anybody feels about this. Not overly concerned with their their rushing attack in terms of the running backs. Cam Moore, though, obviously a challenge. I want to go with an entire position group, which is the cornerback. But you can if you want. All right. Thank I'll you. let you do that. Thank you for uh, widening the parameters of your, this Your name does come first in the show. Okay. I don't know who came up with that. It wasn't me, though. Uh, I think I'm going to go with the cornerbacks just because of exactly what you're saying. I mean, you can go with anybody in the front seven, any position group, but to me it comes down to what do those corners do when a team is actually able to air it out down the field because we have seen a sound Wisconsin defense have trouble against teams like this that can spread you out, that have athletes that are fast down the field and are willing to take those shots. So we've been talking a lot about how good Ricardo Holman has been. What happens when he gets consistently tested? And are they going to throw in Jonas DeClona? How many reps would he get? Is it going to be a split between Alexander Smith and Nizier Forkering? How good can that group be when they are truly getting tested? And it's going to be a big test. I think Cam Ward is so much more comfortable now than he was in Game 2 last year, right? I mean, and Hunter, Waller, Hunter Waller talked about that. He thought he looks a whole lot more comfortable in this offense. And, you know, it's not that – I mean, it was – he was familiar with the offense because they ran it at, at Easter Washington as well. So when he came in, it wasn't like it was a whole brand new thing when he came in and, and was running it at Washington State. Wasn't he at Incarnate Word? What did I say? Easter I Washington. Easter Washington, Incarnate Word. So he was coming from FCS, but he had a million yards. But, yeah, it was a different situation. But it was the same, similar offense. Yeah. So they uh, – why was I thinking Eastern Washington? There was another quarterback that came up from uh, FCS, which Eastern Washington is an FCS school came up and, and had a big year. Either way, irrelevant. He feels a lot more comfortable with the guys that he's playing with, and I think that certainly showed last week. It's going to be a huge challenge. It's going to be a huge challenge. I think it's that you could go a number of different position, position groups. Can the outside linebackers get home? Last last week, they could not. The inside linebackers the same way. Could not get home. We can have arguments all you want about pressures. I thought they did a good job of getting pressure on them at times, but they got the ball in their hands and would never take sacks. Yes. Cam Ward is a little bit different. Colorado State had three sacks. They had ten tackles for loss. So there's going to be opportunities there to get after Cam Ward, and um, I think that's going to be a challenge for the outside linebackers and the inside linebackers, especially uh, a guy like Muma Jung Meta, who was kind of quiet, kind of quiet in, in in week one, and no Jordan Turner in the first half. They won't have him because of the suspension. So Jake Cheney, Muma Jung Meta, it's going to be on them for the first half. We'll see. Other side of the ball, Washington State gave up 300-plus yards through the air last week. Can Wisconsin's passing game take advantage of that? Can uh, Or do they rely on Allen and Malusi again? This is going to be such a tired comment. I, I, no, because I think they're going to take, take what the defense gives them. Right. All right, that, Phil Longo. <laughs> thanks. Well, I think that's part of it, though. And, and uh, that's why they had so much success on the ground in week one, in part, was because Buffalo was playing those two deep safeties they were going to make sure that if they were going to get beat it was going to be on the ground well i guess big mistake <laughs> but i do think this passing game is going to have more success i'm not expecting Ches and braylon to run for 150 every game um that's just not going to happen so it's to me it's a matter of when not if this passing offense really gets it going and i think that this this will be a week i think tanner mordecai is ready to show people how good he can be i would agree with that however i also felt like he was Pissed off and ready to go last week, too. Yeah, well, he was now very, he's even more furious. He, he, he was very short in his comments leading into the Buffalo game. He was even shorter with his comments after the Buffalo game. Yeah. He was all right. He was all right on Monday, but you could still sell, or on Tuesday, you could still tell he was a little 
little upset. I think that may just be him. I'm, th- I'm starting to think that that's just that's just who he is. Uh, we'll see after they win a game and he plays well. Maybe he'll be a little bit more uh, vocal. But I also think he's a guy who's in his sixth year and ready just to not talk to media members ever yeah. again in his entire life. He doesn't need us. We need him more than he needs us. A whole lot more. A yeah. whole lot more. But that's irrelevant. That is irrelevant. I'm, I'm thinking it's going to be another big day on the ground. I think they are going to. Last year, they didn't have a ton of success against uh, Washington State, at least average-wise. I think Braylon, Allen had, Braylon ended up with 98 yards, but it took him like 20-some-odd carries to get there. So can they have more success? Can they handle the front of Washington State? They did not handle the front of Washington State last year at all. And can they stay penalty-free, which was also a huge thing uh, last year but was not a huge thing in Week 1. So yeah. accountability, accountability. Post-snap, pre-snap was pretty darn good. Got to be accountable. I- I'm sounding like Luke Fickler. Got to be accountable in between the whistle, though, too. So we'll see. Uh, again, it'll be Wisconsin and Washington State coming up on Saturday night. We're going to pick that game coming up here in just a little bit. We've got five other games to pick as well. We are live at Munch Bar and Grill here in some prairie, getting ready for NFL football coming up here in just a little bit. Lions and the Chiefs kicking the NFL season off coming up on Saturday. Badgers going to be playing 630. Packers the next day at 325. Come on by. They've got $15 domestic buckets of beer, and they also have jello shots for every touchdown. All right, coming up. Picks. You're listening to. <laughs> You're listening to Temple and Heilprin. This is Temple and Heilprin live from Mox Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Network. Yes, welcome back into Temple and High Alpern, live from Monk's Bar and Grill in Sun Prairie, here every Thursday from 6 to 7. Got a great happy hour. Also have some great Thursday drink specials leading into NFL football. $5 Long Islands, $4 Spotted Cows. We are talking Badgers and Cougars coming up on Saturday night at 6.30. It's going to be an interesting game. It's a little smaller, a little smaller venue out there, about 30-some-odd thousand people. Weather's supposed to be really, really nice, probably in the 70s at kickoff. Should be interesting. Should be interesting for the Badgers. We'll get to that game in a little bit, but we're going to pick uh, five other games first. Jesse went 4-2 and two in Week 1. He's feeling very, very good about himself. Uh, a lot of pats on the back this week. Every time, every time he texted me, he was talking about how good he was in his picks. Oh, I thought just random people were coming up. I'd go to the grocery <laughs> store, and they'd be like, hey, man, 4-2? and two? Impressive. A lot of people talking about it. A lot of people talking about it. All right. Let's start. Let's start with a, a pretty big one that I don't think a lot of people were probably thinking about at this time last week. Uh, based on the spread, they certainly were not. But last week, Colorado went into TCU and upset uh, the Horn Frogs, and it was impressive, impressive effort from the offense. Defense didn't really do anything, but Sean Lewis, Badger, went and had himself a day out there with Shadir Sanders leading things for him on offense, along with obviously uh, Dion. Uh, being the head of it and Travis Hunter doing what he did on both sides of the ball. But they uh, now welcome in. They are now 22nd ranked in the country. One win last year, now number 22 in the country. And they welcome in Nebraska, who went on the road and lost at Minnesota. Nebraska going last week, I think it was like 7.5-point favorites. They are now three-point underdogs going into this one in Boulder. And tickets are not easy to come by. What do you got going into this one? This is tough because I do wonder if the high that Colorado experienced last week is going to prevent the Buffaloes from 
you know, playing to that level again. On the other hand, they've got the two best guys on the field by, by far. Shanir <laughs> Sanders and Travis Hunter, who might win a Heisman after he played 110-plus snaps last week. So I think Colorado's going to cover, and the Dion train keeps rolling. How realistic is to play that many snaps in the entire year? Unrealistic, it would seem, but if anybody can do it, man. That guy seems like he can. Yeah, I, I was not overly impressed with anything that happened Nebraska-wise. I, Jeff Sims was maybe the least impressive of all the transfer quarterbacks last week coming in uh, in the Big Ten West, and that's, that's saying something. Well, I guess Ben Bryant was, was pretty poor as well. I mean, I, what? Is that a, is that a bad thing to say? It's, it's a bad thing to say? All right. Uh, yeah, Jeff Sims was not impressive whatsoever last week uh, against Minnesota. So we'll see how he bounces back. But I don't like that. Going into Boulder, all the expectations that uh, have, have gone on to Colorado, and you know Dion's going to want to live it all up. I think it's going to be I – think, I think Colorado wins going away. So, yeah, I'm, I got them covering as well. The other uh, – another top 25 matchup on Saturday, Ole Miss heading to Tulane. This game – in New Orleans, as Tulane welcomes him in. Tulane, 24th ranked in the country. Ole Miss, number 20. But Ole Miss, on the road, 7.5-point favorites. I'm going Ole Miss to cover on this one. It's really hard to tell from week one games because Ole Miss played Mercer. And put up 73 points. 73-7, to seven, had six passing touchdowns, threw for 524 yards. I mean, Tulane's coming off a 37-17 victory against South Alabama. I don't know how much you can learn from that, but I think Ole Miss is going to put up some points and show some of that sec medal i'm taking uh, i'm no i'm i'm taking the green wave okay with the best mascot maybe in college football i like how we're deciding based on mascots you know a lot of times you end up winning your ncaa tournament bracket that way yeah and i'm I'm picking games that way no i'm picking them because they were the best group of five team last year and i think they've got they've got a very good chance of being the best group of five time group of five team this year it's a really really good program I'm going. I'm going Tulane. You're going Ole Miss. That's fine. That's fine. You got to get. You, you got to make up ground. Yeah. Let's uh, go back to the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Illinois traveling to Kansas. Jane Daniels going to play in that game after missing Week One against Missouri State. They're the preseason Big Twelve Player of the Year on offense, and obviously Illinois just scraping by Toledo in Week One. Now Toledo, a lot of people expect them to win the MAC. Who do you got? This isn't your older brother's KU football team, and I can say <laughs> that because I'm. From Kansas and went to Kansas for uh, graduate school. It was it was not a pretty sight for a long stretch. I think Rock Chalk Jayhawk, they're going to cover. It's going to be rocking out there in Lawrence. I'm just not impressed by what Illinois did in week one. And you add to the mix what KU's getting in the quarterback, they're going to win. It's a, it's a tough one for me. I, I feel like Illinois is going to bounce back week two with a with a new quarterback. I think they are going to be a little bit better. But defensively, it was, was where it was a little shocking, right? You, you come off a year and where you led the country in points per game allowed. And I know you lose your defense coordinator to Purdue, but I'm a big fan of Aaron Henry. Little known fact, Aaron Henry, the first Wisconsin player I ever interviewed. Interesting. As a freshman in 2007. So um, that has literally nothing to do with my pick, but... I'm going to go Illinois. I'm going to go Illinois here. Uh, the other Big Ten game in Iowa, Iowa at Iowa State, Cyclones, Hawkeyes. Iowa is favored by four in this one. This is a tough one. I'm going to, I'm going to go with Iowa State. <laughs> I think the game being in Ames matters. I think this is not going to be one of those games that's going to be decided by more than one possession, and for that reason, I think the Cyclones either cover or just straight up win. I'm thinking that they did not play a lot of. Uh, I didn't. They didn't bring out a lot of their good stuff after they went up some points last week. Iowa. 
right? Wow, isn't that, like isn't, that isn't that what everybody does? Yeah, yeah that's apparently. what we say. They, they didn't they didn't they didn't really show anything last week. Uh, Kate McNamara game two. I'm thinking Iowa goes there into Ames and beats them. Okay, so I'm going Iowa State. You're going Iowa. Yep. All right. All right. And one more top 25 matchup. Texas at Alabama. It's the big one. Number 11, Texas. Number 3, Alabama. Alabama favored by 7. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. I'm going to go Alabama as well. And finally, Wisconsin and Washington State. Badgers favored by 6.5, allegedly. Um, I know that numbers moved a little bit, but what do you got? I think Washington State's going to cover it in this one. I think Wisconsin's going to win, but I believe this game's going to be a little bit closer than people expect. I don't know what... I don't know what people expect, but that environment, it may not be 80,000 people. It's going to be insane. How insane can 30,000 people be? As insane as 30,000 people can be. <laughs> I just don't know how insane it can be. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm feeling good about what Wisconsin did last week. I think they're going to build on it, and I'm going to take Wisconsin to cover, to cover and win. So, wow. We're, obviously. We, we very widely. I would also mention, Washington State fans, they're going to be pissed off because the Big Ten team's coming here, taking all those Pac-12 teams, no one's going to be left. I don't know who you... I don't know what happened last year. What who, who, what happened last year? Oh, yeah. Washington State came and beat Wisconsin, so... I'd Wisconsin's say. pissed off, too. <laughs> okay. We'll see how it plays out. We'll be out there. We'll be back here next Thursday from 6 to 7.